The Defense Department has been dealing with Chinese planes and ships harassing U.S. planes and ships. The State Department has dealt with Chinese aggression on the diplomatic front. But China has also emerged as a central challenge for the Commerce Department, according to my next guest, by design. Wire China staff writer Katrina Northrup joins me now with more. Ms. Northrup, good to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. And what did you find about the Commerce Department that the Secretary Raimondo has really made China and commercial rivalry something that should matter more? Tell us, tell us what you found. Yeah, so in terms of China policy, which is what my piece centered on, the Commerce Department has played a much, much more active role in recent years. So the Commerce Department is seen as pretty sleepy traditionally. It's been far from the action. Uh, you know, it's usually run by an older business executive at the end of their career. Um, it's also a, a hodgepodge of responsibilities. So there are 13 bureaus with, you know, everything from patents to the weather sure. to the census. But starting in the Obama administration, that started to change. So the Commerce Department has something called the Bureau of Industry and Security underneath it. Um, and that enacts export controls on companies or individuals through what they call the entity list. And before the entity list was, you know, focused on proliferation of nuclear weapons, it was populated by companies from India and Pakistan, mostly small companies, tiny companies. But in the Obama administration, right before the 2016 election, they added a huge Chinese telecommunications giant called ZTE. Sure. And that was a huge moment for the Commerce Department because it showed that it could kind of take on this big company. And then in the Trump administration, that only vastly expanded. So it added Huawei, which was one of the biggest telecommunications firms in the world to the entity list. And that was a huge deal. They ended up tweaking a bunch of export controls and eventually showed that the Commerce Department could crush a multinational company. And now ByteDance is part of that list, correct? No, ByteDance is not a part of the entity list. It hasn't been added to the entity list. Okay, um, I guess there's a, there's a procurement rule about ByteDance, but yes. that's not the same as adding it to the entity list. Yeah, it's different. The Trump administration put on a lot of companies, 250, which is way more than any other administration. And the um, practical effect of being listed on that entities list then is what? When you're on the entity list, if I'm a U.S. company and I want to do business with that Chinese company that's on the entity list, I need a very special license to do business. Essentially, it makes it very hard for U.S. businesses to do business, give them software, give them anything, give them tool, you know, tools or, or even like tiny um, you know, parts. People call it a sanction, but it's really an export control. Yeah, so the Trump administration really used this list a lot. And when Raimundo came in, she continued to use it. <laughs> She's used it a lot. In addition to this list that I've just been talking about a lot, Raimundo also has done a lot of other things on China, particularly about chips. There is a large apparatus in the federal government, including the trade representative, that has to do with trade. I think even the State Department has elements of trade policy. And yeah. there's the trade representative and several others. DOD has an apparatus. It sounds like in the Obama administration, they discovered almost an unused muscle of trade power and decided to exercise that one just because it was convenient. And I guess you could, no pun intended, throwing red tape around red China. Is that your sense that they found something, a new tool that had just been lying there, not all that well utilized? 
Yeah, well, it hadn't been utilized on China. So I think you're right. I guess discover is the wrong word because it was there, but they realized that they could use it on Chinese companies. Now it's really the front line of defense. So, I mean, your listeners will remember when the spy balloon came over the U.S., that the Chinese spy balloon, the first line of defense was putting six companies on the entity list. So this is the type of kind of it's the the first step. <laughs> Got it. We're speaking with Katrina Northrup. She's a staff writer for Wire China. And you were about to talk about the way that the Raimondo's Commerce Department is using this power in the semiconductor realm. Yeah. So in the semiconductor realm, which is very different than export controls, it's all about promoting U.S. competitiveness in comparison to China. They have $52 billion to dole out on chips, and they are building up this huge team within the Commerce Department. They're giving money to companies like Intel or TSMC to build manufacturing bases here in the U.S. to make sure that the U.S. has access to semiconductors. And that's all within the Commerce Department. No one else has control. So it's a big task. It almost sounds as if, and I don't say this with judgment, right or wrong, but that they have discovered a great way to establish industrial policy, something yeah. which the United States has been ginger about, let's say, for the last 250 years. Yeah, I mean, this is the biggest industrial policy program in decades. China has really been the impetus behind that program. No one was more involved in making it happen than Secretary Raimondo. I mean, she was on Capitol Hill, lobbying people, speaking with semiconductor executives to make sure that the CHIPS Act, which gives her this power, was passed. And that's what, that was a huge win for her, but it was also a huge win for the Biden administration. And yeah, it's all, it's all about industrial policy, as you say. What about Raimondo motivates her, do you think? Is there something in her background or something that, aside from zealousness toward the policy of the administration that appointed her, what makes her the Commerce Secretary to do all this? Yeah, that's a good question. She has next to no China experience. She was the governor of, of Rhode Island, tiny state, and she often talks about how her father was actually laid off when his job in Rhode Island was outsourced to China. But that's pretty much the extent to her experience dealing with China. But she's this up and coming kind of star in the Democratic Party. She, a lot of people told me that, uh, you know, this won't be her last job in Washington, D.C. And so having her there, really ambitious, you know, really smart. She's Harvard, Yale, Oxford educated, you know, she has everything on her resume. So I think that makes a real difference in terms of what the power, uh, the power she has sure. um, in Washington. And we won't hold Harvard against her, but uh, good for her <laughs> for doing all those things. And what about the reaction from China? Have they been able to countermeasure this in any way? They're actually cracking down a lot on, on U.S. businesses in China right now. And that's a part of what Raimundo is having to deal with. Raimundo met with the commerce minister, the Chinese commerce minister in D.C. in May. That was top of the agenda, of course, According to her readout, you know, she's trying to figure out what the balance is between taking action against Chinese companies, but also making sure that the response on U.S. companies in China uh, does not kind of outweigh that and make it too risky. So that's a tough balance to strike. And just a quick question about Wire China, your publication. Who are those readers and what kinds of things do you also? 
also cover? Yeah, we, we cover China's global impact on business, tech, and trade. Most of our audience is kind of China specialist people in, in policy and in academia and business. So most of our readers have a China focus. We're based in New York, actually, but we have people all over the world. And you've and spent significant time in China personally. Yeah, I was in China before the pandemic. Uh, had to leave at the very beginning of the pandemic, unfortunately, and hope to get back. But it's very hard to get a journalist visa to go to China right now. There are very few American reporters on the ground in China. Uh, so it's a it's a tough time to be reporting, but also a very important time. But the reporters that are there, they don't throw in jail like in Russia. There have been reporters in China who have been to jail. There's a, you know, there are a few examples of that. And I think it's more the case that they are kicked out. So at the beginning of the pandemic, a huge group of American reporters were kicked out of China. That's a big problem for Americans' understanding of China, because if you don't have reporters on the ground, how are you going to know what's going on? Katrina Northrup is staff writer for Wire China. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Great to be here. And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.